the uncertainty of that was what was the fear. Like, are they coming with guns? Are they going to attack my house? I'm in here with my kid. You know, it's I'm trying to put him to bed. This guy is not a leader, and he deserves to be raked over the coals by the DPS there. Kids died because of his indecision. We have a law that says abortion is basically illegal. And since the uh, leaking of the opinion, Planned Parenthood and uh, others came and filed a case to issue what is called a temporary injunction. You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Supreme Court overturned Roe vs. Wade by a vote of 6-3 to three on Friday morning, ending federal protection for abortions, leaving the decision up to each individual state. Michigan has a 1931 abortion ban on the books, leaving many to wonder, are abortions illegal now in Michigan, and what's next? Attorney Todd Flood on All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz. My understanding would, will be that this will have to get tested in Michigan now. Someone will have to, to make a case. Someone will have to, there'll have to be an abortion that takes place. Uh, uh, some sort of law enforcement will be called. Some investigation will be done. Uh, a prosecutor will either charge or not charge. And we'll work our way through it by testing the law. Or is is the 19, because the Court of Claims has said the 1931 law can't be enforced where, where does that leave us on the books? Well, so let's just uh, kind of do it in temporal fashion. We have a law that says abortion is basically illegal. And it, uh, since the uh, leaking of the opinion, Planned Parenthood and uh, others came and filed a case in the Court of Claims, and it ended up in front of Judge Gleisher, uh, to issue what is called a temporary uh, injunction of enforcing the 1931 law. Judge Gleischer granted that temporary injunction so that abortion clinics can still perform uh, ab- abortions if, if the Supreme Court issued an opinion overruling Roe, which it has. So this is just a temporary injunction, and you can see that uh, because the the political um, fervor in this case is is very high, there will be a I'm sure suit to remove that injunction uh, and have prosecutors and police officers enforce that law. Um, however, uh, as we discussed yesterday, many of the prosecutors in the state, including our highest prosecutor Dana Nessel will not enforce if that injunction is released. So currently on the books, we have a temporary injunction of enforcing so they can't enforce the 1931 statute that makes it a felony, a 10-year felony, and uh, uh, abortions can be performed legally. Uh, That injunction, again, is only temporary, and you will see a suit that comes to uh, bring that away or take it away. Also, our governor has filed suit asking that the 31, 1931 statute be uh, declared unconstitutional for what is called vagueness and a lack of due process. So she wants that to go directly to the Michigan Supreme Court. She doesn't uh, want to have any uh, uh, circuit court uh, or court of appeals she wants to take it to the highest court in our state, to the Michigan Supreme Court, 
Might we'll that, see how that goes. Might that be done on an emergency basis now? Will that move to the top of the list of things the Michigan Supreme Court looks at? It's a possibility, sure. Yeah, that they, they may. We, we have a Supreme Court that um, I don't think is myopic, and, and um, they, they may, through their procedure, take it and hear it because of the uh, seriousness of, of the, uh, the medical cases that would be going on in the state of Michigan. And, uh, you know, the, the, the current state of how um, you look at things, doctors could be handcuffed here because the 1931 statute says the only way you can uh, uh, give an abortion or, or have that procedure done is if the mother's life, the pregnant mother's life, uh, life is in danger. Um, and you can see that that will have all sorts of issues for medical doctors and how they make their decisions. So I could see that the Supreme Court um, taking this up um, uh, from Governor Whitmer's uh, 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 legal team. There's a third uh, option here that might be more deeply consequential. Is this petition drive uh, where they're trying to gather enough signatures by July the 11th, which would effectively amend the state constitution. Of course, that would be decided by the voters this coming November. If that passes, how does that work? What is amending the constitution look like? Oh, so... Uh, Look, at, we, we have attempted to do that. It, it, you have to be a great uh, uh, writer and drafter. Look at how many times we've tend to, uh, attempted to amend the Constitution, even in the marijuana laws, and they, mm-hmm. they botched it up in the drafting. So, it, But it, exactly the process. So if the petition drive then gets enough uh, uh, signatures at, to put on the ballot – a constitutional right to uh, to amend our Michigan Constitution to include the due process due process right and, and privacy right of abortion that then could go on to a ballot and vote be voted into an amendment within our Constitution. Um, that's the process for how that would work, um, which then would vacate or make moot any law that would attempt to uh, to legalize or make it illegal for an abortion to happen. That's just the, the procedural process of trying to uh, amend our Constitution. But that would have to be carefully crafted. And uh, it sounds as though there is a groundswell uh, to make that happen. President Joe Biden is calling for a three-month gas tax holiday, with prices reaching well over $5 a gallon, heading into the heart of the summer travel season. So will Congress cooperate, and will it make that much of a difference? Patrick DeHaan from GasBuddy.com was on the Paul W. Smith Show. Well, that's exactly it. Um, You know, will the state, will Governor Whitmer offer some state tax relief? And by the way, the federal gas tax of 18.4 cents hasn't been touched since 1993, most states have a, a state gas tax that far exceeds the federal gas tax. And that's why, you know, I, I tweeted yesterday, it's not really about this 18.4 cents. I mean, you're going to save a couple bucks to fill up, big whoop. But when the state gets involved, if Michigan waives its taxes, that's where I start to see dollar signs. We could be down closer to $4 if the state were to waive its gas tax. I actually saw... Yes, uh, was it yesterday? Yesterday, day before yesterday, 
I'm going to say it was a shell station across from Mr. C's car wash that, for cash, had gas for less than $5 a gallon if you paid cash. And I hadn't seen that in a long time. Um, uh, and That's that's the sad reality of where we are, too. (laughs) Yeah, it sure is. And uh, any way that we can save money in this area is like a tax cut. Those have been talked about. Other tax cuts, uh, even somebody running for governor saying they get rid of the the state tax and all of that, that's got to grab attention. Uh, Patrick Jahan, a moment ago you said, save 18 cents, that's a big whoop. Where did that expression come from? Any idea? Any idea? Where did that? Sean's going to look, and Ann's going to look here. Kim will look. Everybody will look. Big whoop. That's like the that's like the great mystery of why stations charge three nine nine nine, right? The nine tenth of a penny mystery. <laughs> yes, yeah, the nine tenth of a penny mystery. I love the way you put all these things. That's why you are Patrick Jahan, Gas Buddy Petroleum Analyst, and why you're in great demand. It's not just for the bad news. Although, unfortunately, most of the news you've had lately is bad. There is light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> well, yeah, let's let's be optimistic this morning. That's uh, we're trying you know, to. The wholesale, price, the, the wholesale price of gasoline continues to come down. So, you know, it, oftentimes I'm pessimistic. But as we move towards July 4, we're going to continue to see prices coming down. Which is un, uh, unusual in that prices usually go up. Uh, when when you start to get into those holidays because of the, the, the usage. people A lot more people are using gas and prices generally go up one way or another. This is uh, nice to know they're coming down. I mean, coming down from five bucks, but they're coming down and that's good news. Now, when the, when the uh, president calls upon the petroleum industry to stop taking the profits... Uh, I I don't quite understand what he's talking about other than obviously they make more money when more people are spending more money on gasoline. But what's that have to do with that 18.4% that the federal government does control? You know, I I think the president, boy, I would hope he's getting some bad information on, on what drives prices. As you mentioned, oil companies, they do better when prices are higher, just like you and I do better when the housing market is hot. Uh, but there's a lot of same, you know, characteristics right now. There's just a, a, a shortage of supply. There's too many buyers trying to fill their tank, essentially. And that, that pushes prices up. And the only way to get around that, how do you lower home prices? Well, you can raise the interest rates, I suppose, and that'll throttle people back, just like gas prices are going up, supposed to throttle people back. But the other thing you can do is increase the amount of supply of, of things like oil, gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. But that's where we're struggling as a nation is we just don't have enough refining capacity because of things like COVID that shut down some of that refining capacity. Michigan was in the spotlight at Tuesday's January 6th hearing with Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson testifying that she was faced with armed protesters outside her house and State Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky testifying about the thousands of phone calls and messages he received to overturn the state's election results after former President Trump's team tweeted out his personal cell phone number. But the most surprising revelation was made by Laura Cox, former chairwoman of the Michigan GOP. Senior news analyst Chris Renwick and Craig Mauger from the Detroit News on the Guy Gordon Show. The pressure campaign is exactly where the spotlight is today at the hearings on Capitol Hill by the January 6th Select Committee. And it's the pressure campaign that Donald Trump and his team 
used to squeeze state authorities and state officials in their efforts, the committee says, to overturn the 2020 election. They highlighted Cleta Mitchell, a former advisor to former President Donald Trump's legal team, who told the January 6th committee that there were discussions about legislators being to overturn the election results around in time for the 2020 election and instead send a different set of state electors that would back Donald Trump. In fact, they highlighted an email that Mitchell sent to John Eastman, the former Trump attorney, and asked him, what do you think about producing a legal memo outlining the constitutional role of state legislators in designating those electors? We saw video testimony today also from former Michigan, uh, from current Michigan State Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky, who recounted a conversation he had with the former president when he told him that Michigan was going to follow the law. Uh, either you or Speaker Chatfield, did you make the point to the president that you were not going to do anything that violated Michigan law? I believe we did. Uh, whether or not it was the, those exact words or not, but we were, I think that the words that that I would have more likely used is we were going to follow the law. The select committee also played tape of Shirky talking about the fallout of Trump publishing his personal cell phone number on Twitter. All I remember is receiving over just shy of 4,000 text messages over a short period of time calling to take action. It was a loud noise, loud, consistent cadence of, you know, we hear that the, that, uh, the uh, Trump uh, folks are calling and asking for changes in the electors, and you guys can do this. Well, you know, they were, they were believing things that were untrue. We also heard from Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who was a frequent target of the former president. Uh, the Democrat detailed her feelings after protesters showed up at her home demanding she turn herself into authorities, calling her, calling her a traitor. And then about 45 minutes. And then about 45 minutes later, we started to hear the noises outside my home. And that's I, my stomach sunk. And I thought, it's me. And, they're, and, and then it's just we don't know what's going mean, to The uncertainty of that was what was the fear. Like, are they coming with guns? Are they going to attack my house? I'm in here with my kid. You know, it's I'm trying to put him to bed. And so it was um, yeah, that was the scariest moment, just not knowing what was going to happen. Uh, so Michigan specific revelations today that we're going to get to in a moment. But ahead of Michigan certification of Joe Biden's electors on December 14th of 2020, an alternate slate of Republican electors who were not legitimate tried to falsely represent themselves as the legitimate electors for the state, even though a canvassed vote showed that Joe Biden won by an excess of 154,000 votes. Well, now some of those Republican electors, the so-called fake electors, say that they were not exactly aware of what they had signed up for. And was also some interesting revelations regarding the state party chairwoman, Laura Cox. Craig Mauger covering it all for the Detroit News. And Craig, I kind of want to ask you about the news of the day. Let's start off with that. The idea that there apparently was a strategy to try to hide Republican electors within the state capitol on the night of the 13th. So what, they could spring out on the 14th and cast their ballots? That's exactly right. That is exactly right. It's a stunning uh, revelation. We have kind of reported some indications of this previously, but Laura Cox, who was the chairwoman of the Michigan Republican Party in 2020, you know, put it all out on the table today. There were a group of Michigan Republicans who were going to hide overnight in the Capitol building. And then at 2 p.m. on December 14th, 
they're going to somehow like spring out and uh, cast their votes, hold this required meeting of the electors in order to vote for Donald Trump. The key to this is under Michigan law, under unlike other states, the presidential electors have to meet at 2 p.m. on a certain date in the state Senate chamber. So these these Republicans who are trying to advance a false slate of electors knew in order to have their attempt to overturn the election, have more legal validity to it, they needed to be in the Senate chamber at 2 p.m. The building was closed to the public because of security concerns. How do you get in the building? You try to hide out overnight from the day when the building is open into the day when it's closed. Amazing. What? I, I, did they try to build a wooden horse or anything? I mean, what they, how were they, I gonna, mean, that's how are they going to is. unveil this? Oh, yeah. my goodness. Um, but to, 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 uh, to the point, though, State Chairwoman Laura Cox stood up to them and said, this is insane and inappropriate. I believe I'm quoting her correctly. Yeah, that's exactly what she said. She said this in testimony to the January 6th Select Committee uh, through the U.S. House. She pushed back on it. A lot of the a lot of Republicans were against some of these strategies that the Trump campaign advanced. A lot of them didn't want to go along with this false electors slate at all. And right. some of them were worried that if these Trump electors jumped out during this very high security moment in the Senate chambers where the when the electors were meeting, that law enforcement might get involved. And keep in mind, these electors. I've talked to a few of them in recent days. One of them was 81 years old, an 81-year-old man. They were talking about having him stay overnight in the Michigan Capitol and then somehow jump out in a surprise to cast a vote for Donald Trump. I mean, this yeah. is just a wild idea. It's, it, it, it's just when you think that it couldn't get any crazier. Now, you did t- speak to two of these 16 uh, electors who were not legitimate. What was their understanding of what they were being asked to do? They are telling me, these two specifically, that they did not read or have a full understanding of the certificate that they signed on December 14, 2020. And there's kind of two sides to this. One side of it is maybe these electors are trying to shield themselves for potential culpability because there is an ongoing investigation into these false documents being submitted. But the other side to this is, and one of them has texted me today and stood by what she told me yesterday and mm-hmm. restated it, that if they weren't given all of the information about the, of the document that they signed, who's to blame for that? Of this possibility that there were lawyers or other people with the Trump campaign who told these individuals who are not the most politically savvy people that they, you know, in the state, hey, sign this document and this is going to help Donald Trump. And they signed it. If they didn't tell them, hey, there's a couple of false statements on here and we're not going to tell you what those are and we're not going to tell you what we're going to do with the document. What are the legal ramifications of that? I think it's a very fascinating question. So today in testimony, Ron Romney McDonald, the, the, the former state chairman of the GOP, now the national chairwoman of the GOP, called these contingency electors, that she was basically framing this as, hey, these were the just-in-case electors if the challenges succeeded in court. Does that hold water? Here in Michigan, were these electors told that they would only be submitted if challenges succeeded? What was their understanding? It's a great question, and it's a pivotal question. There are a lot of Michigan Republicans who are involved in this 
who showed up on December 14, 2020, for this meeting at Michigan GOP headquarters, believing that what they were doing was simply ceremonial and simply uh, procedural in that they would be taking a vote basically to say if this is eventually thrown into court and they do decide that there's enough fraud to overturn the election, that we went through the step of meeting on December 14th and saying we would vote for Trump had we had that ability. Many of these Republicans did not know that someone was going to take these certificates that were there that day and send it to the National Archives and send it to the U.S. Senate. And that's really kind of the tripwire step in all of this because you're submitting false documents now to government agencies. And we know Attorney General Dana Nessel has said that she believes that this is forgery. We as a law enforcement community, and when one fails, we all fail, plain and simple. The facts are the facts. Mistakes were made. It should have never happened that way. You have a gun. There's a reason you have one. You have body armor. So it's going to be risky. Officers, and and Chief Arando was right. I mean, officers are likely to get hurt, and some may die. But it's less likely that they would than than children without the armor, without the weapons, without the training. Damning testimony from Steve McGraw, head of Texas Department of Public Safety, at a hearing on the Uvalde Elementary School shooting this week where his agency's investigation found numerous discrepancies and inaccuracies in what was originally reported by responding law enforcement. Steve Dolan is a retired assistant Detroit police chief, now working in an education, and he discusses with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz on All Talk. They had armed officers on the scene to follow school shooting protocols in the immediate moments after the shooting started at Rob Elementary, but they didn't follow them. In fact, they sat in the hallway, he says, for an hour and 14 minutes while the children inside and the teachers were killed. Yeah, he said three minutes after the subject entered the West Building, there was a sufficient number of armed officers wearing body armor to isolate, distract, and neutralize the subject. The only thing stopping the hallway of dedicated officers from entering rooms 111 and 112 was the on-scene commander who decided to place the lives of officers before the lives of children. Chilling words uh, from this investigation. Joining us now to discuss this is Steve Dolan, retired Detroit Police Assistant Chief. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Morning, gentlemen. This is uh, difficult uh, to, to watch and listen to, uh, knowing uh, what the outcome was in Texas that day. Uh, is this a decision that was likely made out of fear or ignorance, do you think? Personally, I think it was fear, indecision. Um, if you show up by yourself, you go in. I'm sorry. You don't wait for backup kids are being shot. Uh, granted, he left his radio in the car. Okay, people make mistakes. Not a good mistake, but he made a mistake. First officer responds, he should grab his radio and say, get some more people here. This is what I'm doing. We're going in, whatever. You hear about, you know, people call 911. He didn't know about it. <laughs> Come on, you're the first one there, and you take charge. And according to the Detroit Police Manual, you don't um, – delegate that to anyone else until the higher ranking officer shows up and says, I'm taking charge and announces it on the radio. Until then, you're in charge. And that's just the way it is. It, and it, uh, you screwed up. It, you know, it seems they had all the equipment they needed. They had the people they needed. It, it also appears now that this door was not locked. We heard so much about uh, this door being locked and they had to find the keys. Uh, it appears uh, now that the, if they needed to get in, they could have gotten in. Uh, my question is, what if, what if you're 
commander or, or, or your boss on the scene says no, but you know the right thing is to go in, what happens if you do go in? You'll get written up and be reprimanded or whatever, and then um, your boss will probably chastise you. But then the people will the people will realize that your boss uh, may be an idiot and um, that you are the true hero. How can a school, and no one's saying this, he's asking for the keys. You're trying to tell me no one had a master key to any, any room in that school? Every school has a master key. They're waiting for keys. Yeah. And you're going by yourself. This kid's being shot. You go in. Uh, the hell with the armor and stuff. You go in and engage the shooter. What was he thinking? Well, excuse me. Obviously, he wasn't thinking. Sorry. I just get wrapped up in this. It's infuriating. Oh, yeah. Well, we understand why it is. Because the more information that comes out about this, this on-scene commander, Pete Arredondo, uh, he basically told his officers there in the hallway, don't, don't engage, don't go in. And it seems that there were officers in that hallway that wanted to go in in that situation. Um, and he had apparently everything they needed to bust through that door, and it wasn't locked anyway. So in that situation, what's going to happen to Pete Arredondo? Uh, is, are there going to be civil uh, um, repercussions from this or p- potentially criminal repercussions? I would think at the minimum, civil. Um, they have uh, liability that's protected. He won't, they won't go after him personally. They'll go after the, um, the police department and the school, and, and they're going to win. Uh, he needs to resign immediately and, and just get the hell out of law enforcement. I've said for years there are cops and police officers. Cops know the difference. Police officers think they do. He was a police officer. He didn't act. The cops were ready to act, and he held them back. And now there's, you know, deaths. And he's going, well, it's not my fault. Plausible deniability. Well, you screwed up, dude. People died, I don't know how many after your decision, but they died. So, you yeah. mentioned, yeah, and you it me- could be criminal charges. Yeah, I, I think in this situation, especially uh, coming out afterwards and apparently lying about the situation because the facts, quote unquote, kept changing. But you mentioned fear uh, is possible motivation for not going in. And that's a real issue, you know, from a personal perspective. Obviously, this would be a frightening situation to be in, even for a police officer or a cop. I've seen footage of cops approaching the gunmen during the Las Vegas mass shooting. They were terrified when they were getting closer to that mass shooter, but they had to overcome that fear how do you do that when you're facing a life and death situation you gotta try to remain calm you know the first time you get when you first time a job your first gun run and i've said this um you kind of pucker because you're like oh my god i'm mortal but i have to go in because people are running out same thing they're like well we have to engage we may not get through this but we have to engage like the people in vegas did or or officers throughout do that he didn't he panicked He's scared. I don't know how he became chief. I'll, I'll be honest with you. He, his leadership um, abilities or qualities seem lacking. It, I think in Detroit they would have went in. They would have went in and, you know, it happens, it happens. You lose an officer, you lose an officer, but you save 19 kids maybe. It's the perils of the job when you sign up for it. The school is uh, going to be demolished. I think that's probably a good thing. I, I'm, I'm wondering what you think the impact is going to be on the relationship between the community and the police. Right now, the community doesn't believe the police. They don't They don't feel comfortable and confident that the police have their back. Do you blame them? I don't. No, not in this uh, situation. That's why the chief, no, that's why the chief needs to resign 
You need to find someone who has some credibility, who the officers support, who the community supports. Um, that he needs to leave. And didn't they put him on city council? Yeah. Uh, what? A, what an embarrassment! What an embarrassment! They, they, you want to regain the public's trust, you get a new chief, and you just got to do it. The, uh, You're right. They lied. They didn't tell the truth. Mm-hmm. They hid the facts. Everything. And I'm still astounded that they didn't have a master key to get in. No, the door was not you a problem. You want to save your officers? <laughs> he said he had to save his officers, right? Yeah. He was worried about No, then you'd get your own ass in there, and, and you risk your own life to save those kids. Yep. Right. It's they, admirable. You want to save your officers. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. The, the door wasn't locked, as it turned out. They were, they, they, they were wrong about right. that. Did he check? No, they never went For up God's to the door. For God's sake. That's kind of common sense. Uh, this guy is not a leader, and he deserves to be raked. You know, people are going to disagree with me. He deserves to be raked over the coals by the DPS there. It's, it, kids died. Kids died because of his indecision. If you look at SWAT in Detroit, they go in, and I've been there as an assistant chief. I don't counterman the uh, SWAT team. They know what they're doing. But you if don't... I get there before the SWAT team does, then I take charge until the SWAT team gets there. Mm. Yeah, you don't wait for you don't wait for instruction when kids' lives are on the line. No, you, you act. No, no. The House passed the Senate gun bill that expands background checks to people under 21, closes the boyfriend loophole, requires more gun dealers to register with the federal government, and allocates more money for early warning and mental health services Friday afternoon, sending it to President Biden's desk to be signed into law. They'll do it for Pod Suey this week. For full episodes or anything else you might have missed, go to thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.